Chapter Twenty Nine of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Only a question of time. How did it happen? Who can tell all the hows of these things? Why is it that just at the wrong moment people who have been on the alert for weeks must relax their vigilance? On almost any other evening of the previous month it would have been impossible for John Hartzell to have eluded all the friends who were bent on saving him. But on this particular evening they went their various ways, apparently so satisfied because God had interposed and forever saved old Joel Hartzell that they forgot the human side of the struggle and went home to rest. Mr. Cleveland, in slippers and dressing-gown, sat before his open grate and told his mother about the look of dignity with which death had touched even the old man's features, and said, reverently, Though I believe it was not death, but immortal life which left that impress, is it not wonderful to think of old Joel in heaven? It was about that time that old Joel's son descended again into the mouth of hell. He did not intend it. Oh, no, I do not suppose there has yet lived a man who intended deliberately to descend from respectability into ruin. He returned the chairs, and in a grave and manly way expressed his thanks. He went into the grocery, and bought and paid for a small sack of flour. In doing so, he took out and held in his hand for a moment several quarters and a half dollar, while he counted out the change. I will not say that there was not a sense of satisfaction in so doing. There was such a recent past in which to have counted out money for flour would have seemed to him almost a miracle. The grocer was friendly, and held him for a moment in conversation. He had ordered him from his doorstep more than once, but if a man was going to be respectable and jingle money in his pocket, it was as well to look out for custom. On the steps stood two young fellows, gay, thoughtless, not exactly heartless, save as rum had silenced their higher natures. "'Look at John,' said one. "'He is counting out the quarters as though they grew on the flats.' They are crowing over him down at the temperance meetings. He is quite the fashion, I hear, a brand plucked from the burning. Still I heard that he wouldn't sign their pledge. Oh, no, he won't. He prides himself, they say, on his iron will. Think of John Hartzell with a will so iron that a glass of whiskey wouldn't bend him. Then they laughed. Do you suppose he will stick? This from a third young man, one with a meaner face than the others one of those low, laughing faces belonging to the fellow who has sunken low enough to do anything just for a joke. Stick? No, of course he won't. It is only a question of a few days. When one sees the disgusting fuss that is being made over him, one is tempted to wish that he would hurry up and get back into the gutter. Did you see that parade at the funeral of old Joe today? Carriages and all that sort of thing." That fellow Cleveland, who thinks he was born to rule the country, leading the procession, looking as solemn as a priest. I would like to see that man brought down in some way. He is so far above the common people that he will hardly bow to them on the street. What is the meaning of this astonishing confusion of logic? Only personal pique and political differences of opinion. Mr. Cleveland did not, it is true, recognize this young man as a friend, they had not a thought in common. That they had quarrelled could not be said, because Mr. Cleveland would not quarrel. But that they differed essentially on all questions was true, and in the nature of things necessary. 
either oil or water must change its nature before both can mix then spoke the nature which was on the alert for fun it would be a rich thing to see the faces of the fanatics when their pet tumbles again i declare i should like to be around i wonder how long the reform will last i wouldn't be afraid to wager that i could have him in a state which would edify my lord cleveland by ten o'clock to-night oh no not so soon as that he has just buried his father you know what of that much he cared for his father haven't you heard him swear at him like a trooper i tell you john hartzell is playing a game on the rich old maid that is all he is about if i thought that i'd like to expose him don't think i am going to give you the entire scene i have only hinted at the motives which were brought to bear on the three natures as they stood on the steps and watched john hartzell with his silver they had never moved in his set those three they were several grades above him it was therefore an added pat to his pride when they accosted him in a friendly way and expressed sympathy with him in his recent affliction it was a most unusual thing that they should walk along the street with him was he at work now on anything in particular asked the young fellow who was searching for fun did he know burton of the lower mill he was looking for a reliable man to secure permanently perhaps hartzell would like the chance step in here and let us wait for him he will pass presently on his way uptown in here was a saloon of the better sort it had a soda fountain in summer and a refreshment table in winter where oysters were served and it was patronized occasionally by thoughtless temperance people when they wanted cigars or oysters and did not want to go uptown any farther john did not hesitate he had reformed he never meant to drink another drop of intoxicating liquor he was as ignorant of his own heart as ever a baby was he prided himself on his strong will he was not afraid to go into saloons have a glass of beer hartzell no you have discarded the whole thing have you why i thought beer was innocent enough well some people have to deny themselves i suppose was there a covert sneer in the tone was there a hint that he could not drink a glass of beer if he wanted to wild and preposterous to you as it may seem he honestly thought he could what john hartzell who only a few weeks before had told miss wainwright that he had tried a thousand times to give up the stuff and could not yes the very man don't you see he had done it six weeks since a drop of liquor had been tasted the work was accomplished so he thought the battle fought he was a free man now yet the smell of that beer as the gentleman quaffed it made him fairly dizzy with its suggestions and yet he was not warned don't expect me to explain it i verily believe there is no human explanation which can fit the story but don't you know by your own observation all about the strange blind infatuation and foolhardiness of the reformed drunkards who are trusting to their own will-power if you do not you are certainly not a very experienced temperance worker where were the temperance workers that evening why did there not pass by a man who could help this tempted soul who yet did not understand himself well enough to know that he was in mortal danger one passed by who might have helped at least he might have tried he did not go blindly he paused and thought of the danger 
that one was charlie lambert a temperance man oh yes he drank no liquor he had no temptation to drink any a pledged man oh no he saw no occasion for that certainly not so far as he was concerned an advocate of the license system well hardly and yet it was certainly better to have this thing regulated by law if people must have it among them oh then he believed in getting it out from among them well no he did not consider that expedient in fact it was something which could not be done why not well the country was not ready for it how was the country to be gotten ready for it by continuing to accept the business as legal and under protection oh well he was not a fanatic on this subject he believed in individual opinion and in this way could charlie lambert dance around in a peck measure for a whole week at a time and call it arguing still he did not believe in drunkards oh no it was a disgraceful thing to get drunk in fact i tell you he did not believe in moderate drinking he had not so much excuse as that for his slippery position he knew john hartzell and he saw him distinctly in that saloon and paused and said to himself that is no place for that fellow he ought to know better why didn't he go in and at least look as much in the face of john hartzell there was one curious reason why he did not one two three five young men he saw in there who were acquaintances of his friends indeed in a general way the proprietor of the saloon was a good fellow he often took his lunch at that place he had stopped there for soda almost every day during the summer what an embarrassing thing for a young man like him to step in there and try to rescue john hartzell it was too much to expect after all john might be only waiting for something besides he would go to drinking again of course no confidence could be placed in the reformation of such drunkards as he and charlie lambert passed by on the other side come now said the gentlemanly proprietor you fellows are getting too noisy we don't have such scenes in here some of you must get hartzell out of here this is no place for him this was two hours after charlie lambert had passed by that time the respectable oyster saloon was no place for him he must go lower down one of the loungers agreed to take him by the arm and lead him away coax him home jimmy whispered the gentlemanly fellow who had started out for fun he had had his fun and some way it left a bitter taste jimmy nodded but he might as well have undertaken to coax a panther back into its cage after it had scented its prey what john hartzell wanted now was rum and rum he would have a whistling boy went past just as he reeled into a more pronounced saloon lower down the whistling stopped and the boy stood for a moment horror-stricken it was surely john hartzell what could he do where was everybody he stood only a moment then ran on swift feet around the corner dr brandon's house was the nearest but dr brandon was not at home he hurried up the stairs to lloyd mclean's boarding-house but lloyd mclean's room was dark and his door was locked then home father might have come and father would go to the rescue no dr copeland had not returned the boy was panting and almost breathless he burst into the parlor where sat fanny and mr bruce he had but one question to ask 
do you know where mr mclean is no certainly eben bruce did not know he had not seen mclean in a week what was the matter they must have got hold of john hartzell holly said still breathless they are making him drink if i knew where he was i guess he would know something to do he is with the others a great deal the pronouns in the latter part of the sentence referred to lloyd mclean then the boy rushed away fanny and her friend looked at each other poor fellow said fanny he is almost wild over that wretch of a john hartzell he was so attached to kate he seems to be determined that john shall reform i suppose nothing is more hopeless it is only a question of time when people get as low as he eben bruce shivered a little yes he said slowly i suppose it is only a question of time holly rushed to his mother oh mother if you would let me just run down to mr cleveland's i can go in fifteen minutes i came home at half-past nine as you said but they have got hold of him the fellows have and they are making him drink mr cleveland would know what to do may i go mother say yes quick do please i have lost so much time already could she let him go he was only a boy and the streets were full of snares for boys and it was the wildest sort of an idea what could mr cleveland or any man do poor miserable wretch of course he would drink as if anybody did not know that she was sorry for kate yes she was genuinely sorry she had sent her a black cashmere dress to wear to the funeral and a black wrap which she told her to keep but kate had been utterly wild to hope anything for that miserable brother it was a good thing that the father had died it was an infinite pity that the brother had not died years ago holly must not think of such a thing as going out again it would do no good it might do great harm then holly went away to his room he kissed his mother good-night mournfully his lip quivering and quivering so that he could hardly bear it once in his room the door locked he sat down all hot and trembling as he was and cried great burning tears then he walked up and down the room even as kate and john hartzell's wife were doing at that moment i hate it he said clenching his hard young fist i hate it i wish i were a man this minute i would do lots of things i would have rooms bright light rooms and people on the watch and a man at every corner to run to when folks were in trouble and i would fight it all ways at once and i will i'll fight until there is not a drop not a drop to be had on the globe that's the thing none to be had then they can't get it that will end the matter and i believe it is the only thing that will god wants it so for he says that no drunkard shall go to heaven and rum makes drunkards and always has and always will then people who want folks to go to heaven have got to get rid of the rum there is no other way i am glad to tell you that this boy got down at last on his knees there he sobbed out his bitter story and from thence he arose calmed he had done what he could it is true that the sum of it had been nothing but the divine heart whispered to him never mind my boy god knows and god reigns well there is a rift i suppose in every cloud however dark in the midst of all these bitter scenes holly copeland's education was progressing End of chapter twenty nine